Is there something about action, about aggressive action that defines masculinity? Well, the modern men's movement seems to think so. I think they're going in the wrong direction. And I think just to talk about releasing aggression in any uh, even rich sense of the word is not going to be the direction that we should go as men. It's not what I'm going to be suggesting to you today at all. But there's something here to think about. Robert Bly, I've already mentioned him. He's the major uh, leader of the men's movement um, with a book called Iron John. You really ought to read that. It's a very interesting, difficult, mystical kind of a book that is on the uh, New York Times bestsellers list and has been for the last, I don't know how many weeks, 40, 45 weeks, I suppose. And what, modern, what the modern men's movement is seeming to want to do is they want to release the, what, is, what Robert Bly calls the wild man within us. And men are flocking to that teaching by the scores because something inside of me would like to find somebody who's molesting a little girl and feel totally justified and just beating his head in. Something inside of me would like to go in a cattle drive, jump into a raging river and catch a calf, rescue a calf, and somehow that might feel a little bit good, but my life is spent pushing pencils. My life is spent standing behind audiences, or standing behind microphones and talking to audiences. A while ago, my back went out rather badly. And when your back goes out and you walk around kind of funny, people say, how would you kick your back out? And you want to say something like, you know, in the touch football game the other day. What I was doing, I was reaching up for a pencil on my desk. <laughs> something didn't feel rich about sharing that, you know. And when I read that Robert Bly and the modern men's movement wants to release the wild man within me, something inside of me resonates, and my thought is, I'm sick and tired of being hemmed in by certain conventions. When am I going to be able to do what I want to do, what I think is right to do? What am I going to be able to move into my world without worrying about all these socialized conventions? When am I going to be free to express all that's within me? Oh, I can't do it because I've got to make a sale, so I've got to be nice to this customer who's really a class A jerk, but I can't tell him that. How many people do you work with? You just can't stand, but you can't tell them that. Times you can't stand your wife, you can't tell them that. Times you can't stand your kids, you can't tell them that. It isn't nice. It isn't Christian. It isn't what men ought to do. So we end up saying, oh, I won't do it. Bly comes along and says, let's not get you being aggressive in a bad sense. Let's not get you just being mean and yelling at people and dominating women and beating them up and telling everybody where to take a hike and all that sort of thing. Let's not do that. Bly's not saying that. He's a better thinker than that. What he's saying is, let's release the wild man within us by getting in touch. This is not what I'm going to teach today, but I want you to hear what the men's movement is teaching. Let's release the wild man by getting in touch with those deepest hurts that we as men never want to talk about. Let's get in touch with the deepest parts of our souls that feel empty and alone, that we simply hide beneath our competent exteriors our sociable abilities, the amount of money we have that can say, I'll pick up the tab, no problem. Let's have breakfast together, I'll buy. And something inside feels a bit of a lie because we pick up the tab. And stay away from finding those deep parts of our souls that just hurt. Bly says, get together with other men and start talking about they hurt about a variety of things. How much they miss their father. How much the absence of their father has just torn their souls apart and beginning to express all the passion within their soul, all the movement, all the action, all the aggression begins to come out. There's a new warrior adventure training weekend in San Diego. There's a men's healing and bonding weekend in Westfield, New Jersey. There's a workshop in Phoenix called Tough Guys, Wounded Hearts. An estimated 100,000 men in America have already gone through a wild man retreat. 
One commentator said America is going to become a very noisy place. Is this a good direction for us to go? It resonates within me a little bit, but it also scares me to death. It isn't the direction I want to go, but there's something here that needs to be dealt with. Is our central problem that we're built to be aggressive, but our dads have abandoned us, our mothers have possessed us, our wives try to control us, and the feminist movement has feminized us? Is that the problem? Now, what needs to be is somehow we need to somehow feel released as men. Do we need to reclaim our masculinity by finding the strength to release our aggression? The men's group that I'm involved with it's been a very interesting experience for me. It's the first time I've ever gotten together with a group of men for the explicit purpose of talking about what it's like to be a man and what's going wrong and how we could become different as men. I asked the men in the room two weeks ago, and thinking about this issue of aggression and anger and wanting to come alive and being wild men, I said, gentlemen, do you ever, do you ever feel crazy inside? Do you ever have some weird urges? Do you ever have things that occur to you that are just bizarre, you wouldn't tell anybody at all? you ever have that? And they were kind of looking around and going, <laughs> and I said, well, let me, um, let me go first. I said, um, one of the urges that I have it occurs to me at times, if I'm walking down a flight of steps, somebody in front of me, <laughs> sometimes the urge occurs to me, of, and when I think about that, I picture the person tumbling, and I just stand there feeling somewhat satisfied. Maturity at its finest. Some of the guys said, oh, you mean like that? Is that what you mean about crazy stuff? And I said, yeah, that's what I mean. So one guy started smiling. He said, he said, one of my favorite fantasies that I don't go a week without thinking about a number of times is to put a big steel I-beam and attach it to the bumper in front of my car and go driving in traffic. <laughs> the other guy spoke of what he enjoys thinking about doing to the family cat. That resonated with me. I hate cats. A third guy said that as he was driving to work that morning, there had been an accident on the freeway, and there were two cars that were kind of positioned together, blocking some of the lanes, and he could have easily fit around on the side, and that's what he did. But what he thought as he came up, he thought, well, how much fun just to plow into those two cars. <laughs> you ever feel weird like that? You ever feel scared in ways that you don't tell anybody? You ever feel fragile in ways that just shame you? How come a little comment from your wife could get you feeling as bad as that one little comment from my wife got me feeling? That doesn't feel very mature or strong or masculine or manly at all. I felt like a wimp. Do you ever feel scared about yourself? What should we do? There's a lawyer in Washington, Washington, D.C., that a response to the men's movement is getting together a political action group to try to find responsible ways to release aggression in men. Robert Bly was asked, he thought, was asked what he thought about having a political agenda to channel all this aggression, this idea of men need to be moving, men need to be in action, and somehow harnessing that in productive kind of ways. And Bly's response, when he was asked, what do you think about uh, getting involved in these political things to get men channeled in their aggression? His response, the leader of the movement said, 
as you, as, I, as you tell me about that, my response is this. I'm going to spend the next year in bed reading books. What's he saying? He's saying there's something about all that that just misses the point. Where's all this leave us? Where are we so far? What I've said so far to get us started for this day is that there's something aggressive in the very nature of masculinity. I believe that, and that's what I'm suggesting that you ought to consider. There's something aggressive in the very nature of masculinity, releasing it through wild man weekends or going on cattle drives or torturing the family cat doesn't, in my mind, get to all that we need to get at. But if we don't do something about something that's going on within us that's bad, we're going to end up having no passion toward our wives, no connection with our kids, no ability to relate to our fathers who have hurt us so badly in so many cases, no ability to feel the deep joy of masculinity, and we're going to be finding some other ways to relieve the pressure inside, whether it's affairs or pornography or overwork or too much ministry, whatever the case might be. What I want to do is I want to have you ask six questions. I want you to, ask, I want you to work with me now. Six questions that if you, think about, if you think hard about will begin in my mind perhaps to surface some of the things that maybe we as men need to think about. Six questions. The first two of them to our wives. I want you to visualize yourself asking your wife this question. Many of you are married. If you're not, think of, it, think of asking a girlfriend. Think of asking somebody you've been involved with in a romantic way. Ask the question, do you, feel, do you feel scared of me? Do you feel disappointed in me? Do you feel angry at me in ways that significantly hurt our relationship? Now let me tell you what will happen if your wife responds honestly. Be aware, of course, that when the question is asked, most wives won't take the risk. Most wives would never take the risk of saying, let me tell you exactly how I feel. Because most wives in our American culture, and it's the only culture I'm familiar with, most wives in our culture have killed that part of them that we as men refuse to touch. Because it hurts too much for them to be aware of longing for being touched in a certain way and having their husbands never touch them. And therefore, when we say to them, do you feel disappointed? Are you angry? Are you scared? Their response sometimes, honestly, insofar as they're aware, is to say, no, I don't think so. Things are fine. Everything's okay. Why? Because I've injected Novocaine into the core of my feminine soul as the only way I can survive involvement with you. A lot of ladies would say that. If they were to speak honestly, what would happen to most of us is what happened to me last Sunday night. If they would speak honestly and say, yeah, I've been married to you now for a month or 25 years or someplace in between or maybe longer. And let me tell you that there are ways in which I just feel so missed. I don't feel feminine when I'm around you. I don't feel secure when I'm around you. I'm afraid what you're going to do next. I don't look like I'm scared. I've gotten pretty tough. I've gotten pretty hard over the years. I'm pretty assertive. I can handle things pretty well. But something inside of me which is terrified to ever give you the deepest part of me because no one has ever enjoyed the deepest part of who I am 
And if I were to give you the deepest part of me, I know what you'd do, because it's happened a hundred times in all kinds of little ways that you've never even seen. I know what you'd do. You'd freeze up. And you'd say like, well, tell me what I should do about that. Honey, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. What do you want? A date once a week? We'll do it. No problem. Expensive restaurant? We'll find a way. We'll get a credit card. You want me to go to a ribbon store with you? I'll do that. I mean, I'm a great guy. I'll do better. I promise. What do you want me to do? And the wife inside says what? Sometimes outside. If I have to tell you, it doesn't count. And your response is, that's the dumbest thing you ever heard. Well, of course she ought to tell you. You don't know what to do. Second question I want you to consider asking your wives. Same question, really. A little different form. Do I know how to deeply connect with you, with who you really are as a woman, in a way that lets you relax in the safety of tender strength? Now, visualize yourself saying those words to your wife. Can you visualize your wife going, what? That's a weird... What are you talking about? You don't talk like that. Tender strength, relax, and safety... Usually you say, what's for dinner? And now you're moving in a different direction toward me? She'll think you're drunk. Her response will be to look amused, puzzled, annoyed. And I'll guarantee you, nine times in ten, probably ten times in ten, that her response will not be, honey, thanks so much for asking. You seem so manly as you ask the question. <laughs> her response will simply be to say, I don't know, that's all right. Well, yeah, you miss me a lot of ways, sure, but... That's how it works sometimes. Yeah, you're not much of a husband in lots of ways, but you're okay. So you'll feel irritated and you'll forget about it. But if you forget about it, if that's the kind of question that you wouldn't know how to ask your wife and stay with it for a long time, if that's the kind of question you're not asking your wife, you don't deal with, then you're communicating a very strong agenda, a very strong message, rather, to your wife. What you're saying is, it doesn't really matter to me how deeply penetrating I'm experienced by you. It doesn't matter to me whether you feel like I connect with you deeply at all. Our real agenda, my real agenda in our marriage, honey, and I want you to get this clear, is I want, keep, I want to keep things relatively smooth in a way that never requires us to face really hard things about what a failure we are in our marriage. Very, very few men connect with their wives. Our tendency is to run, for the, run from the fact that we're simply not there in a rich way with our wives at all. Our wives continue to feel mess, missed. And we continue to feel like there's no power within our souls to do what a man was designed to do. How about a question to our sons? A lot of hands went up about men who have sons. These questions that I'm giving you are meant to simply to highlight what I think is an important issue we're going to talk about the rest of the day. Suppose you to ask your boy... You're a 13-year-old boy, you're a 23-year-old boy. You're a 40-year-old son if you're an older man. Do I make you feel less confident or more confident in your ability to handle the demands of life? Or have you written me off as irrelevant? Do you feel that I deeply believe in you? 
How many of you know what it is to give your son advice and to have your son clearly reject it? Every man in the world knows what that's about, don't they? Son, I think you ought to do this. Why is the son not receptive? Why is it not happening the way it really ought to happen? Where a son is able to respond and say, Dad, you've walked the path ahead of me, and the way you've walked the path is the way I want to walk the path. And when you give me input as to how to walk the path, something inside of me feels privileged to listen. Is that the way it works with your kids? Not often, is it? I wouldn't argue that you ought to press this question, frankly. Pressing it with your son, if you press this question with your boy, if you leave the seminar and and grab your kid and say, let's have a two-hour talk, I want to ask you a question. My guess is that what's going to motivate you asking this question of your son in many, many cases is going to be something along these lines. I need to feel good about myself as a father. Please make that happen. One of my boys said to me a couple years ago, we were going through some real struggles, and I asked my son a question about what he was doing, and he said, Dad, do you want the answer to make you feel good or the honest one? And I said, the one to make me feel good. I've had enough pain for a while. Lie. Question to our daughters. Do you feel richly prized by me? Do you feel prized by me? Or do you feel a pressure to somehow win my approval? Do you value my influence? Or do you wish with all your soul you were free of it? Dad, I'm so sick and tired of listening to you talk about the way I dress. My suggestion to you is don't ask a child under 12 this question. Just prize her. Don't ask her if she feels prized. Just prize her. But when she gets into her teenage years and on, then ask a little bit and ask a little bit more as she gets older and press it a bit in a mood that says, press it with your daughters, not with your sons, press it with your daughters in a way that says, as a man, I'm going to, and forgive the sexual imagery, I mean nothing inappropriate about it, I'm going to enter you in a wholesome, good, clean way. I want to enter your life with respect for who you are and an enjoyment of all you can be. And gentlemen, when you get involved with your daughters and ask honestly and that you can get behind the sarcasm or get, get beneath the, beyond the sarcasm and get beyond the irritation and get beyond the uh, meaningless declarations of affection, when you get beyond all that and your daughter begins to be honest with you and says, Dad, there's times that I just wish you'd never talk to me again as long as you lived. Dad, there's times I don't feel prized by you. I don't feel special. I don't feel like anything enjoyable about me. I feel like I'm just a pain in the neck to you. I feel like I'm a threat to you. All I do is make you uncomfortable. All I do is scare you to death. Curfew's, you know, 12 o'clock for a date on Saturday night. I'm 18 years old. I come in at 12.05, and you're sitting there, and I look on your face, and I know that I have the power to destroy you. How can I respect you? And when your daughter says all that to you, the challenge of manhood in that situation is to be strong enough to handle it. Because if you're not strong enough to handle it, then what you're communicating to your daughter is that the revelation of herself will lead to men being destroyed. And she'll never give herself to anyone. Question to our 
to our friends. Men friends I have in mind. Ask this question of your men friends. Do you feel that I really care about you? And what's most important to you? Do you feel that I really care about you? What is most important to you? And do you feel free to tell me anything? Or are there secrets you would be too ashamed to make known to me? Most of us have secrets. Most of us go to our grave with our secrets. Very few of us know the meaning of the word brother. A discussion along these lines with a friend might lead to some productive understanding of what friendship really is all about, what brotherhood is all about. I'm not suggesting we press for every secret being shared. I am suggesting we press for why secrets are so rarely shared. Do I really care about you? Do you know that? Do you feel that you could turn me off if you tried your hardest? Do I really care about you? What's most important to you? Can you tell me anything? Or are there secrets you'd be too ashamed to make known to me? Good question to ask of your friends. The last question. Question to ask of our fathers. Many of our fathers are not living In that case, visualize asking your father this. If your father is living, then perhaps it might be a time to think about doing this. Dad, are you now and have you been deeply encouraged by how much you mean to me? Do you feel fully accepted in spite of your faults? Dad, remember when you were Younger man, I was five years old, you left the family, you're an alcoholic and you took off for a couple of women and to find your fortune and to spend time in bars. How have you felt about yourself, Dad, over the last 30 years with the memories of having abandoned your son and not having been with him up until maybe 10 years ago? Do you feel fully accepted in spite of your faults and richly valued? and respected for your strengths? Gentlemen, this question in my mind reverses the direction of our culture. This question in my mind puts the focus... Now listen carefully. This question puts the focus on the substance within me that no matter how damaged by an abusive, neglectful, abandoning, betraying, mean, vicious father... And some of you have stories like that to tell. I don't. I've got a wonderful dad who's imperfect... Some of you have terrible dads. Some of you have wonderful dads. But this question puts the focus on the substance within me that no matter how damaged I may have been by my father or by life in general, there's a substance within me that was built to move. There's an action. There's something about what it means to be a man that was intended to move toward people who've hurt us badly. Now listen to a very important sentence. There's going to be several sentences that I want to underline during the day. Here's one of them. There is no joy for a man. There is no joy for a man. 
without facing the pain another has caused him. There is no joy for a man without facing the pain another has caused him. And moving toward the source of pain with redemptive love. There's no joy, no legitimate joy, there's counterfeits. There's no joy without facing the pain another has caused him. And moving toward the source of pain with redemptive love. Gentlemen, we're never going to experience authentic manhood without learning what that sentence means. There's no joy without facing the pain another has caused us. And moving toward the source of pain with redemptive love. Now, as we ask these questions, and as you visualize yourself talking to your wife and son, daughter, friend, father, as we think about these questions, then I'm hoping that what's the, what the effect of looking at these questions might be will be to surface something around which I want to hang the whole day. I want to hang the whole day on a very major observation. Now turn in your little handout to the next page. I hope those questions surface something that strikes me as unarguably true, that there's something wrong with how we're living our lives as men. If we could have all the people in this room that know you well. Yes, sir. Moving toward the source of pain. Moving toward the person who hurt us. Moving toward the person who's hurt us. By source of pain, I mean a human being. Moving toward a dad who neglected us, a, a neighbor who was mean, somebody who was a youngster when we were in Little League Baseball and our coach threw us off the team because we dropped the fly ball, that kind of thing. Moving toward the person who hurt us is what I mean. Are we willing to begin with the assumption on the basis of asking these questions that there's something wrong with how we live our lives as men and if we were to be able to talk to the people that know us well and uh, whether it's our wives or our good friends or our colleagues at work, would we, would we agree that, that people who are honest would say that the way we impact them is a little bit different than the way they wish they were impacted? Something's wrong with how we live our lives, with how we impact others as men. And can we also go beyond that to say that something is missing in our lives? Something is missing that makes it feel impossible to live our lives as we should. Go back to me on the bed last Sunday night as my wife saying she hates me and is scared of me. Now, what does it mean to be a man at that particular moment? Well, whatever it means to be a man, I'm not sure if I have it. I feel a little bit like the wife who comes and says, we need to buy a new whatever and it costs $1,000 and I've got a dime in my pocket. What's required of me to move toward my wife in a manly way, I'm not sure if I have it. There's something missing. Something wasn't put in there that allows me to do this. Ah, but something was put in there that allows me to do this. So I'll go where I'm good. I'm a whole lot better lecturer than I am husband. And frankly, I'm a whole lot more comfortable behind a microphone talking to a large group than I am sitting on a bed with my wife when she tells me she's scared of me. I've got 40 pages of notes. I'm ready for this day. And it's going to last till 4.30, I think. With my wife, I don't have any notes. I pull out my book and I say, you know, where's the page? Something's missing. 
And I would guess that if we were to all tell our stories, if we took the time, which of course we can't, if we could all tell our stories about what's missing in our lives and the pain that we feel, my guess is that we'd see a group of 350 men dissolved in tears. I want to ask four questions today. And now we're in the major part of the outline. I want to ask four questions today. What's our problem? What's wrong? What's missing? I then want to ask, what are the effects of our problem? How do we live that gives evidence? I'm just giving you the outline the top of the second page now. What are the effects of our problem? How do we live that gives evidence that something's wrong and something's missing? Third thing I want to ask is, what's behind our problem? What's caused it? Is it inherited? Is it our backgrounds? Is childhood really a disease from which we must recover? What's the root of our problems? And my last question that we'll be looking at as the day closes, what can be done about it? And when this day is over, I hope that as we walk out of here at 4.30, my, my very fervent hope for the day, the reason I've been excited about doing this and worked hard at thinking through the concepts, is I hope we're going to have some, some thoughts that you're going to leave with, that you're going to think are worth thinking about. And maybe a little clearer understanding of what, what it means to be an authentic man when you're sitting on the bed with your wife, when you get the phone call that your son's in jail, when your boss says to you, we've well, got to lay you off, when your wife says, we've got some extra bills and you haven't got the money to pay them, when you face the fact that you're fundamentally bored in your job, when you face the fact that you're not happy with where you are in your life at all, when you face the fact that your marriage after 10 years is kind of dead, when you face the fact that your sex life is just a routine uh, activity that for a few seconds feels good, but you just assume masturbate. When you face the fact that there's things going on in your lives that are just as wrong as they can be, that you're going in a bunch of directions that you hope nobody finds out about. All of us struggle with that. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just sharing with you. And I hope that by the time the day is over, there'll be a couple of thoughts that maybe we can leave with um, a renewed sense of hope. And maybe we can move toward the woman that we married to, toward our kids, towards our friends, towards our fathers, towards our mothers. Maybe we can move toward them in a way that will bring legitimate joy to us, will make us more able to resist temptations to do a lot of things like overwork or overeat or look at pornography or whatever the case might be. That maybe there'll be some understanding of what manhood really means that will free us from a compulsive addiction to all these counterfeit sources of relieving the pain that only authentic manhood can deeply relieve. Let me begin by talking about what's our problem. We're going to break at 10.30. Is that correct, 10.30? Let me begin with a very basic thought under the subject, what's our problem? We as men, see if you agree with this. This, by the way, is a day of dialogue. I'm wanting just to share thoughts. This is not meant to proclaim final answers, but more to stimulate good thinking, I trust. See if this sentence makes sense to you. We as men feel most comfortable in situations that we think we can handle. Is that too obvious to say? Do you all agree with that? Pretty basic, isn't it? 
We as men feel most comfortable in situations that, for whatever reason, we think we can handle. We feel a certain degree of comfort when we're doing something we're good at. If that comfort, the comfort of doing something we're good at, if that comfort is the deepest comfort we know, then it's entirely illegitimate. We're all good at something, aren't we? I've already mentioned my skiing. I'm not a skier. I like it sort of a little bit. I am a tennis player. I'm not terribly good, but I play well enough to enjoy myself. And I can get on a court with some people and be a lot better than them. That always feels good. I can beat certain people. I like that. And, um, and when I win, there's something inside that feels kind of, yeah, I'm not, you know, for a middle-aged old guy, I'm not doing too bad. I still got a decent backhand. Serve goes in. Once in a while is an ace. That's not too bad. I kind of feel a certain degree of comfort when um, Nav Press tells me that my book's still selling pretty well. I feel like I can write okay. Not too bad at that. Is that legitimate? Sure it is. It's legitimate to be able to do a few things well. I'm real good at very little, so guess where I stay? What I'm arguing is that if the comfort that comes that I feel from doing certain things well is the deepest comfort that I know, then it's illegitimate, and I don't know what manhood's all about. Most of us have learned that kind of comfort. We've learned to rely on some ability we've developed. Maybe we have a, a particular talent, whether it's writing, or maybe we're physicians, or maybe we're just very sociably skilled and are able to handle ourselves, and we get together with the guys and, and, and watch the game and talk in a way that makes us feel like we're, we're together in some meaningful ways. We have a personality style that gets us through life. And when we face a situation where that ability or personality is simply not relevant, we feel a deep sense of threat. An OBGYN told me a little while ago, he said that, um, he said, when I wear my doctor's uniform, when I put on my white coat and my stethoscope and, and do my surgery, he said, I feel terrific. And this guy is a well-known OBGYN in his particular city, and he has women flying in literally from many states around to have him pull out his knife and uh, operate on them because he's one of the best. And um, when my wife needed particular OBGYN-type surgery, we didn't go to this gentleman, didn't know him, but we flew some distance to go to a guy that was terrific. And this guy knows what it's like. Many people think he's terrific, and people fly for long distance to go to him. And he says, when I have a woman lying on my surgical table anesthetized and a knife in my hand, I feel like a million bucks. I'm really good. I make a lot of money, and I'm very talented. But he says, when I come home, and there's a complication with my wife. I freeze. I feel furious. And my image of myself, the way he put it was this, my image of myself is I feel like a fetus in the womb. Not yet ready to come out. Let me stay here to be taken care of. When it's a surgical situation, I'm in charge. Nurse this. Assistant, do that. We'll do this. Take care of this. And there's that. When my wife approaches me, I feel like a little fetus in a womb saying, don't require of me what is not there to give. His wife describes him as a passionless, uninvolved, and sensitive man. What's the problem? Let me introduce to you what I think is the central problem in manhood. I'll introduce it, and we'll take a break in just a few moments. Let me introduce a very central concept that will not make much sense until I explain it. So put up with a little bit of a language system that will not be clear as I first say it. We'll break, we'll come back, and I'll try to make it clear what I mean. What is fundamentally wrong inside of you and me as men that keeps us from living fully as authentic men can be summarized very simply 
we live by a code that does not require courage. We live by a code that does not require courage. Whenever a situation confronts us, the first question we reflexively ask is, what am I supposed to do in this situation? What are the expectations? Give me a job description for everything I'm doing, and when the job description is clear, I'll take on the job if I think I have the talent, the ability to fulfill this job description. And of course, in many situations, that's the right question to ask. There are a lot of areas in life where there is a job description, where there is a code, where there is a set of rules, where there is a playbook that says, if you want to do this job well, then you ought to do X, Y, and Z. If you want to play tennis well, then you ought to, when you do your backhand, do certain things. If you want to serve well, you ought to toss the ball at a certain place. There are certain rules to follow, and if you have certain basic athletic ability, then maybe you too can learn to be an adequate tennis player if you'll follow the code. We're hiring you in our job now. We want you to be a sales rep, and here's the way it works. Here's a course on salesmanship. Here's how to make a sale. Here's what we want you to do. Here's the principles of sales. Here's the code. We want you to follow it. If you make this many contacts, make, a, make this kind of a presentation, then these kind of sales are likely going to result, given our history with these sorts of things. And our response is, all right, I can talk to people pretty well. I'm a pretty sociable kind of guy. I can learn the product well, and I can answer questions. I think I can follow the code, and inside something comes alive, and we feel a certain a certain joy, which if it's our basic joy, is entirely illegitimate. You ever noticed how angry you get when someone gives you a code that doesn't work? You've all been in a situation where you've said to a friend, um, well, how do I get there? Maybe it's your wife or a buddy, and they tell you, well, here's how to get there. You've got to go down here a couple miles, make a left turn to the light, and then two more miles there, and looks for Fox Run Road, and make it two rights. And so you have these directions all written out. And are you like me that when you follow the directions and the person left out something, there's a fork in the road, they didn't tell you about that? And, and, and you, you make a guess and it's the wrong guess, you're 20 minutes late for your appointment? What do you feel internally? I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've just said, geez, why couldn't they just give it right? Don't go it! What, they know? You know, you just get like that. Why? When the code doesn't work, we're at a loss. When the code doesn't work, when I'm in a strange city and you tell me how to get to the restaurant I'm supposed to meet somebody at and you know the city well, I've never been there before and you kind of assume a few things and then I don't realize what you've assumed and so I miss a couple of turns, I'm really furious at you. You know the big problem? The area where there's no code is the most important area of our lives. Relationships. The area where there's no code is the most important area of our lives. How to be a man in relationships. There's something wrong. We demand that something in our lives work. Because down deep, we know that so much in our lives doesn't work. There's something in me that angrily, with a deep sense of offended justice demands a blueprint for maneuvering through life. And when I get one that doesn't work, it really makes me mad. Counselor, what do I do with my daughter? She's out she's dating a guy that's a real mess and I can't stand him. How do I handle that, counselor? And the counselor says, try this. And you try it, it doesn't work. How do you feel towards your counselor? 
You walk in the next session, my daughter is now pregnant. I'm going to sue you for malpractice. You gave me a code. It doesn't work. didn't work. Don't you know I can't live without a code? How dare you ask me to be courageous? It's a strange city. I don't know how to do that. I'll go back to what I'm good at. I'll go do a root canal. I'm a pretty good dentist. I'll go sell something. I'm a pretty glib salesman. We want a code to live by. We want rules that do two things, and with this we'll break. We want a code to live by. We want rules that, number one, guide what we do enough to protect, uh, to protect us from the risk of serious failure. I want a code to live by. I want a rule that, number one, will guide what I do enough to protect me from the risk of serious failure. And secondly, I want a rule that will guarantee, at least reasonably, a reasonable guarantee of a reward if I keep the rules. Honey, tell me what to do. Give me ten things to do as a good husband. I'll do them all. And then I expect a smile out of your face. I expect a little more cooperation in the bedroom. I expect a little bit less flack for the kind of things that I do. Give me a rule to live by. A rule that will guide what I do enough to protect me from risk of serious failure and a rule that will guarantee a reward if I keep it. We want a code to live by. Why is that so wrong? We'll think about it more after a brief break. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.